when I teach how to craft your unique sales story, your sales narrative, a big part of that is the discovery, the aha moment that you create for your prospective client, meaning you accurately describe their problem, you show them why you're the person to help them. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological, the podcast that curates East Asian medicine and methods to the power of conversation. Instagram, Facebook, Zoom meetings, online classes, chats, podcasts. It feels like connection, but I'm not sure that it's community because community is inconvenient. It's troublesome. You have to travel and show up and actually deal with each other together. It's messy. You have to cope with the weirdness of others in real time. Online, you can mute, turn off the video, space out, wash the dishes, maybe surf YouTube while in the meeting. That's not community. That's training for attention deficit disorder. It's a kind of make-believe, a sort of pretending that we are actually connected. Asynchronous, and free of the constraints human nervous systems put on each other when in person, the online world feels like connection. But that's like how the soft chew of a donut masquerades as nutrition. We've given free reign to the lizard brain, decoupled it from the consequences of acting from our worst impulses, and conflated this with actually being connected. We're not. It's more like we're disembodied personalities playing at being ourselves, the blood, pheromones, and ways our nervous systems connect in real time, it's been replaced with cartoonish avatars and feelings flattened into emojis. The TikTok feed that knows what you want before you do, the overly excited, hand-waving pitches that grab for your attention on Instagram, the way that you gaze hypnotically into the ever brighter screens of our so-called smart devices, it simulates connection. It rhymes with community, but it's not because community does not respond to swipe left. And more than that, community asks more of your attention, your presence, and your heart. Community doesn't move at the speed of a fiber optic dopamine trip. It's slower and unfolds more in the rhythm of heartbeat and breath. Online community, that might be a contradiction in terms. Online gatherings are something and they for sure have the utility, but I'm not sure that I would call them community. Like pretty much every tool or innovation humans have come up with, there is a clear benefit that arises from a particular problem being solved. Potential harm, as anything that helps usually also can hurt, and wild, wild, unforeseen ways that that tool can be applied. What's more, as we shape tools, those tools in turn, they shape us. The tool we call the internet can be tremendously helpful in assisting us to grow our businesses and our practices. But behind the tool, there's the mind and the spirit of the person who's using it. And don't get me wrong, while I'm keenly aware of the limits and problems with our digital world, I am also grateful for the opportunities that we have that didn't exist when I first fired up an acupuncture practice. 
The tools we make, in turn, they shape us. That said, there are some basics, especially when it comes to running a business. The basics don't really change. And the internet is a terrific tool for building the kind of practice that you would like to work in. I met Danielle Weil at a podcast conference, and we quickly found ourselves in a spirited conversation on the opportunities that you can create for yourself by having a business and how some tried and true communication fundamentals, they can make all the difference. We'll get into that in a moment. Stay with us. These conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Worried that an EMR is too complex for you? Jane has friendly and knowledgeable support. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Are you concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, Ancestral Sturman offers up a sinew treatment, and the folks at Blue Poppy have something special to share as well. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit mayway.com to find the perfect Pumsar brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies. As we welcome the month of May, our focus is on women's health. Our newsletter articles and podcast episodes this month will highlight different aspects and unique challenges women face. So subscribe or tune in. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our women's health formulas this month. Just visit Mayway.com. This season and every season, trust Mayway Herbs for your health and wellness needs. And thank you for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. I love how technology can help to automate my office. And I want to share with you my favorite tool for doing so, Jane. Jane is a clinic management software in EMR with a human touch. Whether you're switching your software or going paperless for the first time, the Jane team knows that the onboarding process can feel a little overwhelming. That's why with Jane, you don't just get software, you get a whole team. Included in every Jane subscription is their award-winning customer support available by phone, email, and chat whenever you need it, even Saturdays. You can also book a free account setup consultation to review your account and ensure you feel confident about going live. If you're interested in making the switch to Jane, head to jane.app/switch to book a one-on-one demo with a member of their support team. And be sure to mention the code Geological at the time of sign up for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. I don't know about you, but sometimes I take a step back and marvel at my acupuncture needles. I mean, they're the world's simplest medical tool, a sharpened wire and a handle. That's it. And with this simple tool, hundreds of health conditions can be resolved. I love it. What I didn't love 
was the amount of packaging waste I generated at the end of the day. But that has now changed too. Ever since I switched to AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles, I reduced my packaging waste by 90%. Not only are they a great needle, but the folks at AccuFast plant a tree for every two boxes of needles I use in the clinic. By switching to AccuFast Needles, you'll be helping patients, planting trees, and joining a community of practitioners changing the world. Like our simple needle, being a part of this solution, it's simple too. Visit AccuFastNeedles.com slash Geological to learn how. Welcome to Shop Talk. In this portion of the podcast, we are bringing you roughly 15 minutes of practical clinical methods, perspectives, and advice that has its work boots on. This section is all about practical material that you can begin to investigate the next time that you walk into clinic. Additionally, visit the show notes page for supporting materials from this week's guest on Shop Talk. All right, roll up your sleeves. Let's get to work. Hey, friends, welcome to today's Shop Talk. I'm delighted to have with you today Renee Clorman, the fantastic production assistant here at Geological. Hey, Renee. Hi, Michael. How are you feeling today? I feel good. How do you feel? Uh, I'm doing better. I was sick. Yeah. But I'm better now. And recently, you were sick. I was. The clinic where I work went mask optional, and I was still wearing a mask, but by the end of the week, I caught a cold. <laughs> and so I, yeah, I was, I treated it with herbs, and then I caught a second cold. And that was, uh, that's what started our conversation about using one of the master dong points. Yes, because you were sick and you weren't really getting well, as I recall. Yeah, the first cold, it looked a lot like COVID. I didn't have COVID. It was a lookalike. And so I used I used three different sets of herbs, and that worked really well for four sets of formulas. And then things got better, and then I got this massive sore throat and swollen glands, and nothing touched it. And I thought, oh, well, maybe I have strep, I should go check. (laughs) And so negative for strep. And then that night, I decided that I was just going to try acupuncture on it, since that was the one thing I hadn't tried. And I did uh, the master dong. You're going to use some acupuncture. That's such a great idea. I know, right? I didn't do any acupuncture the first round. I just thought, oh, let's just hit it with herbs. Do you find that this happens sometimes? And our listeners out here may have this happen too where you're sick, it's like, oh, I feel awful. I should do something. I don't know what to do. Eh, maybe I'll just sleep. And, and then a day or two goes by, and you realize, wait a minute, I could do some acupuncture. <laughs> yeah, I even did, I did gua sha on myself. I did it on my neck to try to see that. I did moxa on, um, I mean, this is a different thing. I, you palpate kidney two and spleen four, and whichever one is more sensitive, you moxa that one, and it helps with the sore throat. And now, how's that supposed to work? I didn't prepare for that. I I don't remember. <laughs> it's okay. a long time ago, but it it actually does work. But it's only it, for me. It's only temporary. It will soothe it, but it doesn't make it go away. Okay, so kidney two or spleen four. Yes. Those are like really close to each other. Yeah, and usually one is way more tender than the other. Well, that's a good thing to know. I'm sorry, I can't explain the mechanism for that though. 
I'm pretty good with palpate over here. If one of these shows up, have at it. It's okay, too. Yeah, does this hurt? I'm going to put a needle there. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Anyway, so you got a bad sore throat. It's like you need a fire extinguisher. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so you're going to needle... Sancha San. I did Sancha San, and I'm left-handed, so I... I had a sore throat that also I had an earache that was dominant on the left side. So I thought, okay, I'll I'll start with the, the right hand. And San Cha San is between the, the fourth and fifth finger on the San Jiao channel. And it, you insert it at San Jiao 2. And then you thread it through San Jiao 3. It can go really an inch and a half is what you want. And so I I probably got it somewhere between an inch and an inch and a half. And then I waited 10 minutes and... Nothing happened. And so I took it out and I'm like, okay, so I'm going to do the right side. I'm going to use my right hand, which is my not my dominant needling side. So I, I, I did it just to practice. And then I left that one in for 10 minutes, nothing. And I went to bed and woke up in the morning and my glands were back to normal. My sore throat was completely gone. And my fatigue that I had had for a week from that first cold was also gone. I felt great. I felt normal. It was, it was amazing. So... We love to get quick results. You know, it's always, you know, acupuncture party tricks are the best, right? Put a needle in and people are like, oh, I'm immediately better. It's so ego gratifying. But for you, this took overnight. Yeah. And I think what, you know, if you think about the San Jiao channel, it regulates and transports chi to the whole body. So, you know, in, in working with Master Dong points, I am used to getting, especially with any kind of chi and blood stagnation. I am really used to immediate results in the clinic where I can say, I'm going to put this point in. Actually, sound cha, air, and yi work instantly for back pain. And so I I think I've had this expectation of like, okay, sore throat, like I should get immediate relief and it didn't happen. So that that was a great lesson. It was a great lesson to think, okay, so for some things, it might take 24 hours nothing might happen on the table. And that's, that's also a, a potential normal. I think it's a really important thing to remember. We're so often looking for that quick result. Often enough, we get them. So it, it's not an unreasonable thing. But something like a severe, sounds like toxic wind heat, it might take a little time for the system to resolve that away. Right. And what's cool is my favorite part of acupuncture is how elegant can I make my treatment? And, you know, I'd say 60% of the time that's not happening. But in that 40%, when something beautiful, like putting in one point, that actually touches multiple points. So, you know, it's it's passing through SI3, it's touching, you know, Sanjiao 3 and Heart 8, and then Sanjiao 2. So that's amazing. It's like four in one. And they're going to clear heat. They're going to release the exterior. They're going to address anything in the head and neck. They're going to address the swollen glands and the earache. It was, I didn't know. I mean, when I did it, I just thought, I know this point helps with immunity and I'm just going to try it. But, you know, when you asked me about doing this, I, I thought, oh, I should, I should understand like why it worked a little bit better, which it's great. It's a great learning opportunity. It reminds me to, you know, slow down too. Well, often enough, too, especially when it's ourselves. I don't know about you, but I, I know for me when it's myself and, and I want to treat something and I get an idea. It may, not, it may be a half-baked idea, 
especially if I'm not feeling well. But I'm willing to be my own white mouse. Mm-hmm. Like, let's see what happens here. And sometimes nothing happens. Like, okay, useful to know. Sometimes something like you had with your situation, something works quite well. And then it's like, oh, I wonder what else is going on here. Now, now I need to think about this more. Mm-hmm. You know, think about the mechanisms. And then, of course, when you have a chance to use it in clinic out in the wild, see what happens. Yeah. And this point I use a lot for um, headaches, dermatology, like itching. You know, if someone's really itchy, has eczema on the table, that point will calm everything down so they can rest. And uh, Really? Yeah. Migraines too. Because I've got someone who is seriously itchy. Yeah. Try that. You could also do the, you could do all three because they work really well together. And, you know, first try, first try Sanchasan and then, you know, mm-hmm. wait a minute and see how they feel. I think, you know, the other part about this point is doing these points on myself reminds me of what it feels like when the patient receives that point. And, you know, some points are really easy, but some of the master dong points are require a very particular technique. And if you don't get the technique, it doesn't work. And, you know, with this one, it slides in like better, really easy through the you know, the two, between the two fingers. And I found that on myself, I mean, on my dominant side, it was easy to do that, but not on my dominant side. So then I got a sense of, oh, this is what the patient's feeling when I'm, although I'm holding their hand to feel exactly when things get stuck and I need to readjust, but it gives me a sense of the sensation of it. So sometimes I'll say, this point should, because when you take a needle out, a big needle, and you put it between two people, uh, to two fingers, they give you this look of like, what are you going to do to me? <laughs> so mm. usually I say, this, this might feel odd, but it shouldn't hurt. If it hurts, let me know. And I can feel before they say anything when the tissue, something is a little off with my insertion. But yeah, it was, it's also just like you're saying to be your own white mouse. So it's a great to practice. It's a great point. And it's so, so useful that uh, to have this in your toolbox is, um, will make any clinic day run smoother for multiple reasons. I'm really excited to try this. So itching, almost any kind of heat. Mm-hmm. Um, what else did you say that you use it for? It could do the earache. It could do the swollen yeah. glands. It's so really Sanjiao channel related. So since mm-hmm. it threads through two points and then had, um, no, those, that was all of them. You already said headache. Okay. And when you're needling, you said you hold their hand. Are you, are you feeling for where the needle's moving through the skin? Are you paying attention to the tip of the needle? What's going on when you're actually doing the needling? Walk us through that. Yeah, that's a great question. So first, the, the gauge. I use 20 by 50 for someone who has a larger hand or for someone a hand that's a little smaller. I'll use 18 by 40. And then, you know, Those you're... Those are long needles. Yeah, they're long needles. And I hold... The ta- their hand is resting on the table. I put my my non-needling hand, the fingers on the palm on the palm palmar side, so I can feel what's going on. And then I have my thumb resting on the dorsal side, basically over Sanjiao three. And I'm holding up their hand so it keeps a loose fist. And I ask them just to relax. And when I feel the muscles relax, then I look for the point between the two knuckles of the fourth and fifth finger, and you can slightly feel an opening. So I'll insert it into that opening, wait a minute, maybe 10 seconds for them to relax. And then I will slide, begin sliding it in. And when I do that, 
the fingers that are on the palmar side, I can feel the muscles twitch if I don't have it exactly right. You'll feel something move under your fingers. And and then the dorsal, mainly the thumb I'm using on the dorsal side is just to stabilize. And then my fingers that are inserting the needle, I'll rest one finger, usually on a knuckle, the you know the third knuckle as I'm inserting. So I'm just trying to think of how I'm what I'm doing. Maybe it's my finger, but yeah, you want to you definitely want to stabilize this the the hand that is needling because you want to hold you want to be able to hold everything pretty still. And then once it yeah. goes in, it slides right in. And for something like 18 by 40, I'll definitely go up. I'll go up to the hilt almost. And and then I just ask them to relax and not move. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and then that's it. And generally, they're, at least with Sancha Air and Yi, with back pain, I put those two in first and their back pain goes away immediately. And then they just relax. So it allows me then to do, you know, other things and, um, the, the sun in terms of, you know, itching headache, it's same thing. It will, it will immediately release whatever's grabbing them. Um, and they'll be able to relax on the table. So if it's a physical pain, expect pretty much immediate relief. Yeah. So I would say chi, chi stagnation, any kind of chi stagnation, any kind of, um, I mean, really blood, you know, b- blood and body fluids, because that would be San Jiao channel. So at least mm-hmm. with San Cha San, you, and, and because it goes to the vertex too, you know, in terms of the, um, the San Jiao channel, it will relieve a headache instantly. And it goes through Xie Bai. And that's one I often use for migraines. So if I'm trying to be, again, that elegant, I would choose San Cha San over Xie Bai because it, then it also threads through SI3, which is also good for, you know, or, or Wang Sheng Er and Yi are also good for headaches so and neck pain it's kind of like hitting a home run with bases loaded yeah i was actually thinking of it it's like an uber and four people get in it's like four <laughs> points get in <laughs> and so you know they all all the friends get in at once and you just just with one needle so and off you go great yeah okay well thank you i'm sure that the listeners are going to find this helpful i know i found it helpful i can't wait to see some back pain walk in and uh Try this, and especially because there's been a lot of respiratory things going around and sore throats and things. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm gonna put this in the toolkit, see what happens. Just one more plug for the others, the San Chao Aaron Yi. Mm. I I had a patient who had eight out of ten back pain, and I put those, I put one point in back pain reduced. I put the second point in, and they they said, whoa that was better than morphine. And they had just spent a week in the hospital where they received morphine. That was better than morphine. And they look like Wolverine when you're done. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's really fun too. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, speaking of, you can, you can do it when they're on their belly too. Sometimes it's a little easier to insert from that angle. So I do it both ways. Um, They can be on their back or their belly. And and I love your description of both supporting their hand. That's got to be reassuring when you're sticking a big needle in there. And also using your hand to sense what's happening as I put that needle in. So that that makes a lot of sense to be able to sense through your own physicality and at the same time be reassuring to the patient because you're holding their hand as you stick a big needle in. Yeah, good point. All right, Renee Clorman. All right, Michael Max, thank you. Thanks for the shop talk.
Danielle Weil, welcome to Geological. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Good to have you here. So we met, I guess, roughly two months ago at this point. We were at a podcast conference in Florida. And uh, I remember stepping out, Florida, man, why do they have the air conditioner on so high in these conference places? I had to step outside to warm up. I was freezing. That, and I grew up in Florida, so I can answer this question. We wore sweatshirts to school no matter the season because it's so cold indoors. Because once you go outside, now we were there in January, the weather was pleasant. But if you are there in any other month that is not a cold front where it's 60 degrees, you are sweaty and gross after two minutes outside and you need the Arctic conditions of the air conditioning to feel refreshed. That actually makes sense. I, I lived in Taiwan for a while and uh, the summers were swelteringly hot and humid. And uh, they turned on the AC with a vengeance. I always walked around in the summer in my backpack. I had a scarf and I had a hat for when I was inside. Exactly. It's backwards. Well, just the way it works, right? Life is funny that way. Anyway, we had a nice conversation out there. And I said, hey, you should come on my podcast because I want to talk to you. And, and it's funny because we're just chatting for a moment before coming on air here. You said you're ready to go. You got your chocolate. You got your coffee. I'm thinking you're the kind of gal I like to talk to. And then you ask me, you say, what are we talking about? <laughs> Which I love this because I never know what we're going to talk about on the podcast. I have an idea or direction or a question or a nudge or a nudge, depending on the situation. And we go in that direction. And what I remember is we were out sitting out in that pleasant January, kind of warmish Florida sun, talking about business and how awesome it is. And so that's what I, I want to talk with you about today. I want to, I want to ask you, I want to start with a question. Because you work with people and their businesses, and you help them, and you know something about marketing, and you know a lot about writing, and you know about working with entrepreneurs and businesses and things like that. Let me ask you this question. Why is it especially for people, say, in the acupuncture industry, and probably many others, when we hear and think the word business, our brains release cortisone, the stress hormone, instead of releasing dopamine, the happy, ooh, goody, life is you know, wonderful hormone. Because when I think about business, I'm like, ooh, roll your sleeves up, let's go. And I think that's the attitude we all want to have about our businesses. But in many cases, that doesn't happen. And I think for a couple of reasons, and this has been both my personal experience and what I see when working with my clients is that we have our core expertise, whether it is acupuncture, or it's art, or it is career coaching, or relationship coaching, whatever your expertise is, whatever your core competency is, you go into starting a business, you suddenly need all kinds of other skills to make it work. And one of the most important skills that you need is sales and marketing. And that is not something that comes naturally for people. We are not generally trained to promote ourselves or brag or, you know, feel like we're, we're talking ourselves up. That's not something that is really looked on as a positive thing in society. And so when we come to this place of having to put ourselves out there, 
and really think about and articulate our value and what's different about what we do, that automatically feels stressful because it's not a a skill that we've developed. And it's something that that is frowned upon almost. It feels uncomfortable. Unless you're Jewish. Well, <laughs> even then. Yes. Well, and I'm, you know, I'm kind of making a joke, but it, but I want to stick a pin in it that some of this is culturally based, right? There are cultures where it's like, of course you talk about yourself. Like, why wouldn't you? And there's other cultures where you just would never do that. So, you know, there's a big spectrum for sure. I think that's true. And again, I'm coming at this from the perspective of someone who was born and raised in the United States, but I now live in Israel and I've lived there for the past 15 years. So it's true. My Israeli friends would not have no problem going out there and talking about how awesome this thing is and how awesome that I think there's also a gender nuance there too, where I don't know how far we want to take this, but where women feel less comfortable bragging or owning their successes than men do in general. Yeah, no, I, I would say it's a general tendency that I think that's probably there, right? There's always variance within any group, but as kind of a rubric, yeah. So you said we have trouble articulating our value. And that leads me to a question of, do we even know the value that we bring? Are we actually in touch with it? Because let me give you an example, like from my own life, beginning acupuncturist. Like I want to help people. I've learned a little bit about acupuncture, you know, when I was first starting my practice long, long time ago. I don't think at that point I could have articulated the value that I actually have, the skills and capacity, but beyond that, the value, the like who I am that might be able to help you. I didn't know what it was. And unless you spend time thinking about it, you won't, right? Because first of all, let's just say this, we are all unique human beings. You can't place a number on our value as a human being. What you can, so this, this idea of like charge what you're worth isn't entirely accurate. What you can put a value, put a number on and articulate is the value that you deliver for your clients in relation to what people are willing to pay for it. I love that. The value that we deliver that might be perceived, it might be real, right? Those can get kind of fuzzy sometimes, but you know, like beauty's in the eye of the holder, values in the eye of the beholder. And certainly when you're working with something like acupuncture, where someone comes in with a real physical pain or complaint or something, whether it's physical or emotional, and that gets better to be able to, you know, we talk about who are the, the people that need the least selling to, it is the people who have the urgent problem, right? If you can articulate the exact way, first of all, you can articulate the problem to them better than they can themselves. You can actually diagnose that problem in a way that they have not been able to do. And then you can articulate the exact solution for that problem and present it to them. They're like, please, yes, fix my leaking roof and make my child sleep through the night. 
Well, I'm laughing. This is kind of funny. I mean, this is kind of what we do in a practice. Our job is to diagnose, ideally describe it back to the patient in a way that they know that we understand what they're talking about. Often in that process, we will pick up things that they hadn't said or they hadn't thought about. And now they really know that we get it. It's like, oh yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, that's there. Which is funny because when I teach how to craft your unique sales story, your sales narrative, a big part of that is the discovery. The aha moment that you create for your prospective client, meaning you accurately describe their problem, you show them why you're the person to help them, and then you give them an insight to what's really going on. Why haven't they been able to solve this before? Because usually it is not what they think it is. There's something else. Oh, I love that. So you're bringing in that element of surprise. Holy smokes, I hadn't thought about that. You're bringing in the, I am listening so attentively, I can like, I mean, this is where it's almost like Chinese medicine party tricks. Like, well, you told me this, this, and this. It's a pretty good possibility that you don't sleep well either. And then they go, they go, how did you know? You probably wake up between three and five, don't you? They're like, how did you know? But just like any expert, like I can tell that if someone comes to me and says that their funnel is not working and they explain to me, okay, I'm doing this and this and this and it's not working. Well, I can generally tell you that you are probably missing one of these three things because we just, because of that expertise, because of that knowledge that we have, the people that do not have that knowledge, like, like you said, it's like a party trick. You don't see how we're doing it. It's really just the, the accumulated value of our expertise. And going back to the word value, I think we tend to underestimate it because it comes so naturally to us. And we're often taught to downplay it in the Chinese medicine world in particular. I'm speaking a broad global we. I'm going to get in trouble for this. I know I got listeners who, who don't like it when I speak this way, but I'm speaking this way anyway. But, you know, we value humbleness a lot of times in the Chinese medicine tradition. And so speaking out too much, uh, it kind of goes against that. So with all that in mind, how can we better get in touch with that message of value? Both so that we know it for ourselves, Danielle, because I think that's important that, that you got to know it in your own heart. And then sharing that through our writing or through the funnel, you use the term funnel. You're going to have to explain more about this. Like, like how do we get that value out there so that people can interact with it? So there is a, a lot of pieces to that question. Let's start with how do we start to begin to articulate our value? And the first step is understanding two things. One, the um, benefits of the solution, meaning what happens when you fix the problem? What does that look like, not just in the immediate term, but what effects does it have on not just your health, but your relationships, your mental state, your quality of life, what you're able to do afterwards? that you may not have been able to do before and thinking through some of your best clients and the transformations that they've had and what has been possible 
even just beyond the immediate relief. So that's one. And the other piece is what are the consequences of not taking action? Meaning they don't fix it. What happens? And being able to accurately paint that picture, not in a way to like, we're not trying to scare people or make them feel bad. We are just saying like, we want you to make an informed decision here. You know, this is generally what I see when we go this way and here are the potential benefits, you know, again, and it will, the ripple effects of that. And if we don't, okay, well, first of all, things are going to keep going like they're going, but they might get worse and it might look like this. And that's going to affect your quality of life, your mental health, your relationships in these ways too. I know for myself, I'm speaking for a past self. These days I hear what you're saying. I go, high five, I'm on it. That makes a lot of sense. Give people a little something that actually does make them a little bit nervous because you know what? It should make them a little bit nervous, right? Sometimes, you know, we're saying we shouldn't try to make people fearful. You know, at the same time, bringing some reality to the situation and speaking how do I say this? Here's the question. How do we know that we're being authentic and compassionate and straight with people? And how do we know when we're being a little smarmy because we really want to make that sale or get that patient into the clinic? I don't think that's going to happen. I honestly don't. I think that if you are in the business you're in and you have the expertise you have in order to help people, then it's almost your responsibility to just like any doctor would, like, here's the procedure that I'm recommending for you. Here are the potential side effects. Here is what will happen if we don't do it. And the, another way into it might be because this is a technique that we tend to use in copy and marketing language, because when we talk to someone directly about their problem, especially in writing, they may feel uh, defensive. Like a lot of those, you are, and you might, you know, you're this, you're that, that people make in copy. I personally think that's a mistake in many cases because you're not allowing them to step in and identify. You're not giving them a chance to identify before you've already made them defensive. I don't know if that makes sense. I can explain a little bit more, but one way that you might approach it is by telling stories of other people in similar situations. I had a client who came to me with this, this thing and, you know, I had spoken to her and then we didn't end up working together. And then she came back a year later and, whew, you know, it took longer to actually solve the problem or so positioning this idea of what happens if you wait or, being able to talk about the transformation for someone who may, and again, like everybody's different, cases are different, but sometimes the patterns do repeat themselves. And the more stories like that you have, again, keeping them anonymous, just, oh, I, I had this client. It also serves to generate what we call social proof. So testimonials, success stories, case studies, you just reference it. Like, hey, you know, I worked with somebody about six months ago who was going through this. 
And now, you know, I spoke to her and her quality of life has totally transformed. So instead of talking about that potential patient, like if you don't do something, things are going to get worse. Yeah, we tell a story that they can see themselves in. It's a way to get the message through without bringing the defenses up. I know this is where I have in the past felt uncomfortable is when I was being too direct like that. Because I felt like I was being manipulative. I'm trying to be helpful. But sometimes, man, you can be really unskilled in the process of trying to be helpful. Well, and that and people, when they are confronted with a problem that they have, even if they are aware of it and know they need to fix it, we feel bad about it, right? We're like, oh, why am I having this problem? What's wrong with me? You know, and then, and then there, there's more guilt that's piled on top of that because, you know, who knows if it's something that I did to make this happen or whatever it is. And, and then it can, again, turn into a place where we're trying to help by sh- saying, okay, here is the situation. Here's what's actually happening. But what it ends up coming across as is I'm wagging my finger for the, for the listeners out there, wagging my finger. Okay, I get that. And just as I listen to you speak about it, I feel such a sense of ease when I hear a story of somebody, a cautionary tale, as opposed to, well, if you don't do something about it now, the wheels will come off the bus and it'll be your fault. Right. And the people do not buy from a place of guilt and feeling like it is their fault. One of the rules, number one rules in copy when you are writing any sort of marketing text is to explain to your prospective client why it is not their fault. Oh gosh. Wow. Explain to the client why it's not their fault. Why is it not your fault? Because you did not know this. This is what you did not know. Therefore it is not your fault. Now, the flip side of that is now that you know, you actually have a responsibility to go do something about it. What are you going to do? Wow. Okay. So can you give me an example? Sure. Let's take a common industry that we are more or less familiar with, the weight loss industry. We may or may not have seen some examples of this, right? I may may or may not have written some of these in, in the ancient past. There are new diet fads every five seconds right? First it was the South Beach and then it was paleo and then it was keto. I don't even know what it is now, but every time there's a diet fad, there's a new science that comes along to explain why you have not been actually able to lose weight until now. It's because you did not realize the science of hormones, the science of weight loss hormones, or you did not realize that carbs are actually bad for you, or you did not realize that the weight loss industry actually packs their low-fat food full of sugar. You didn't know. It's not your fault. They told you that this was good for you. And here you are struggling. Nothing's working. Not your fault. But now that you know, you have an opportunity to do things different. It really fits. Point well taken. And that's so powerful, too. There's a problem here and you didn't know about this. But now that you it's like, but now that you've seen it, you can't unsee it. It's not your fault and you're responsible. Exactly. 
I can't wait to go write some copy. <laughs> <laughs> See, there's that dopamine we were waiting for. That's the dopamine. Right now, if this does feel scary to you, if this feels like whoo, overwhelming, I don't even know where why I would begin to dive in with this. That is okay. That is normal. It is not your fault. Most business owners are not actually trained to write copy because you started your business. You maybe did not go get an MBA. And they actually don't teach direct response copy in, in business school. Hello, everyone. Anne Cecil Sturman here. A working knowledge of the eight extraordinary channels from the unbroken oral tradition of acupuncture is valuable beyond words. The power of these channels is tremendous if the practitioner has well-integrated diagnostic, theoretical and practical skill. You'll be familiar with Dumai, the governor channel or the sea of Yang, the primal reservoir of Yang, which ultimately finances all movement and growth. But this channel also governs the ability to self-determine. The psycho-emotional presentation of your patients can be matched to a classical activation of this channel clearing impedance in the free flow of yang chi to body, mind, and spirit. I'd like to share with you the marvelous potency of the Do channel in a full-length live treatment video from the seminar I taught last year in Melbourne, Australia. It's at ancecilsturman.com forward slash sinews2024. Click on the jump to free teaching button or see the link on my Instagram page at Anne Cecil Sturman. Thanks, Michael. Back to you. Yeah, no, that's a whole different, uh, I'm going to call it a trade, a craft. Exactly. It's a different skill that now if you're a business owner, you need to pick up basic levels of these different skills, right? You might have to like put your website together in the beginning. You might have to learn how to get an online appointment system set up you will have to learn some basics of marketing and sales copy. If you want to be able to own that skill in your business. And I think it's a skill worth owning. I think so too, because what bit I've learned about copywriting, I find it's helpful with your spouse. It's helpful with your children. It's helpful when negotiating for some kind of a purchase. Well, and we talked about this at, the conference, which was the domain name that I bought and have not done anything with yet until this point, but I own it. Want to tell the people what it is? Parent like a marketer. <laughs> I have four kids, by the way. <laughs> and yes, there have been situations where I have used my ninja copy skills to talk my children off a ledge or get them to do something or actually get them in touch with their feelings. Yeah. So Jedi, use it for good, right? I mean, like any technology, this is such a, you know, it's such an overdone cliche. A knife can be used to cut someone's arm off. A knife can be used to do a surgery that is life-saving. Right. It's a technology. Depends on who's wielding it. So for those out there who did not get to hit a dopamine of like, oh yeah, copy. I'm, I'm like, mm, yum, let's go do it. For those who are more like, oh my God, copy, I don't even know where to begin. And I'm afraid to even ask. How do we get started? 
I actually, the first exercise that I have my students and my clients do is what's called the chain of beliefs. Now you take a piece of paper and put three columns in it. The three columns are as follows. Me, you, and your offer. And what you're going to do is don't censor yourself. Just write whatever comes to mind. We're playing here. We're not, you know, there's no score at the end of this. You're going to write down for each of those columns everything that your ideal client needs to believe in order to sign up to work with you about you, about your offer, and about themselves. And knowing those things. Now, in the beginning, you may come up with things like they need to believe that acupuncture works. It will get them the result they want. It has thousands of years of proven science, right? All of the, the things that they need to believe about the offer and the thing. That is distinct from what they need to believe about you because there are a lot of people practice, practicing Chinese medicine out there. And some people might make the decision about who to go to just based on who they Google and who comes up first. Or some people may make the decision just based on recommendations. Like they'll have a friend who went to somebody, oh, this person is amazing, you have to go to them. And they won't even then research other people because they have that warm referral. So that's a topic for another time is how you can like actively generate more of those in your business. But sometimes people will compare, do the research. If they go to your website and they don't see anything that makes you stand out, and the thing that might make you stand out is the quality of your writing and your copy. It may be your unique spin on Chinese medicine. You may combine it with another modality, for example and create something different. You might have a different take on it. You might just give everybody that comes in like a prize, you know, like at the dentist's office, the kids go to the dentist, a little prize at the end, whatever the thing is, right? What sets you apart? And then the thing that most people miss is what they need to believe about themselves. Because when people have a problem, they will generally not solve that problem until not solving it becomes more painful than staying where they are. And that piece about what we believe about ourselves, that's so big, right? So there's a uh, business, an acupuncture business these days that goes into strip malls here in the United States. It's like next to Glamour Nails and the discount clothes store, there's a acupuncture business. So it's a national brand, basically. That's all over the place. And they're going to strip malls. And I know a bunch of acupuncturists with like smaller private clinics really don't like this company at all. Cause like, well, you know, they're in the strip mall and you know, blah, 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 blah. But I look at it and I go, that is flipping brilliant because that woman at Glamour Nails probably doesn't see herself as a person that would walk into an acupuncture clinic but they would walk into this other thing that's right next to their glamour nails because that's who they see themselves being. It's not weird. It's in the strip mall where they're comfortable with the things that they purchase. So that piece about like knowing who your potential patient is can be so helpful because it not only gives you a sense of who might come in to see you, it's 
also a way of being able to help people say no that are probably not a good fit. We don't want everybody coming into our business by any stretch of the imagination. There are certain people, they may feel pushed, they may feel bullied, maybe their wife made the appointment for them. That never goes well, right? It's important to get people to say yes for sure. What do you think about getting people that are not right to say no? What are your thoughts about that? That is the job of any business owner. Is we call in the industry, we call it niching down, right? Like knowing who your people are and who they aren't. And that is very much your choice about who you want to work with. It's your business, right? And as much as we feel like we want to help everybody, if you are so focused on getting a new patient in the door, getting a new client in the door, and have that niggling feeling that not, that person is not fully on board and don't listen to that instinct. How many people have had that experience where like you sign a client and then those red flags when you were having that initial conversation were actually red flags? Listen to those when they tell like whenever there's and start to maybe even realize what they are. And if somebody, you know, raises one of those red flags, then it is fully in your power to say, no, I really don't think this is a fit. It might be more challenging in my industry because we're in the business of compassion and helping. And I mean, I've learned this through experience painfully game. I cannot help everybody. I really thought I could in the beginning. I thought I could, yeah, I can help anybody with this. Bring it on. And one of the things I discovered was, oop, nope, actually, no, there's all kinds of populations. I just, I either have no interest or I'm no good at it, or I'm just uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean, again, that's your choice. And from a marketing perspective, the more specific about who you do help, who is ideal for the type of work that you do and again, it's really tempting. Like I'm a copywriter. I can write copy in just about any industry. Any project comes along. I have written for things as varied as men's muscle building and women's pelvic floor therapy and building an online business and orthodontist, right? Like across the board, artists. But at some point, if you make the decision that you only want to help these specific problems or these specific people, that allows you to be a lot more specific in your copy, in your language, in the way that you talk about the problem and relate to the problem and relate to the person, which makes those people who you are talking to feel like you are speaking exactly to them. So there's this, this balance, this sweet spot of, of specificity about who you're targeting and, and the way that you speak to them and the type of problems they have. You don't want to get too specific on the other hand. I find, I don't know if this is true for your industry, but in a lot of online businesses, they'll take people through an, an ideal client avatar exercise. They'll have to write down like what kind of car they drive and what kind of music they listen to and their favorite band or their you know yoga class, what, really, really specific things. And I just don't see any value in that, honestly. Yeah. I mean, I can see the value in an avatar. 
mainly because it helps to focus who it is you want to work with. Yeah, getting as specific as like, you know, what kind of car and, you know, the level of car that they bought, their music choices. Yeah, I don't know. That does seem maybe a bit over the top. But we need enough to be able to hone in. So what would you say is a sweet spot for some kind of a avatar image, some kind of a description of who you would love to see come in your door? You can take it as far as wide or as narrow as you want with it. If you're asking about the sweet spot that I would recommend, it depends on if you are serving people in person, how large your geographic area is that you're targeting, how many people are in that niche within that area, and do you have enough numbers coming in your door to then make that work? Like that's a math problem more than a a marketing question in some cases. But if you can say, okay, I really want to help menopausal women with all of the things that come along with that. That you can get really specific about what those pain points look like. One, you know, I, I think narrowing down specific problems might be one way to go. You can either get specific about the problem, you can get specific about the person, you can get specific about the trigger situation that is bringing them to solve the problem. These are all three hooks that will get people's attention because they've got an issue and they'd like to get rid of it. And this is where their attention is. I'm that kind of person, or I've got this kind of problem, or I've got this kind of a situation that I want to see be different. Exactly. So something like insomnia, that's a trigger situation. You know, again, something like menopause, something like fertility, perhaps fertility support. I certainly, when I started doing acupuncture, it was for that reason. And then I realized all these other things that were happening that I needed help with. Because that's how it works, right? You know, it's pretty interesting with acupuncture. So often people come in because of that triggering thing. It's their knee or their fertility or their headaches or, you know, whatever. It's usually that triggering thing. And then often that will change, but because it's attached to the rest of their life, as that changes, other things will also change. It's almost impossible for them not to change. And then people are like, wow, that's crazy. And now my digestion is really good. I had no idea my digestion was no good. So it's figuring, knowing that there's always more under the surface, thinking about what those, those trigger points are that push them over the edge of, I really can't take this anymore. And those trigger points can be used in the copy where on one hand, you could talk about, oh, you didn't know. And on the other, you can talk about, well, now that you know, what are you going to do? Exactly. And I think a smart move would be if you are experiencing this specific trigger thing in this specific way in this specific problem, chances are there are other things happening under the surface. And really the best thing for you to do to actually solve the problem is to approach it in a holistic way. This is really awesome talking in the kind of specific language that we're talking in right now. And the reason I think it's awesome is because quite often we will market our medicine as, well, you know, it's holistic, like air quotes, holistic. 
people don't know what that means. <laughs> it's like, yeah, what do you mean holistic? Yeah, people don't know what it means other than, oh, it's supposed to be good. And, oh, you're doing that holistic medicine. So maybe this is probably going to be good. Well, that's a bunch of hooey unless you can actually talk about how this thing is holistic, how these things are all connected together. Chinese medicine has a great framework for looking at that, but you copywriters have a great one too. Yep. <laughs> and the human brain, as we're, we are overwhelmed, it's actually in the book behind me. If you want to you know, go do the book club or the, the homework or the extra reading, I highly recommend reading the book Influence by Robert Cialdini. Oh, yes. Right? So if we're talking about the shortcuts that uh, humans make just by virtue of having to make so many decisions in any given day, in any given moment, those shortcuts that are just built in to the system, otherwise we would be overwhelmed with information and collapse, that word holistic in some cases will be a shorthand for natural and valuable and effective. In some cases, for people without that, those associations, they might not know what it means entirely. And that brings us into levels of awareness, right? If you have someone who is somewhat aware of this, the world of Eastern medicine, Chinese medicine, and alternative therapies, then they'll, they'll know what you're signaling when you say that word. But if they are unaware they're still having problems. They're still having pain. They're still having things that you can help with. But just by saying holistic, that's not going to meet them where they are. Or it could even work against you because they think holistic is some weird yogi, hippie, you know, crystal healing and smoke. That's not me. So again, being aware of who we're talking to and what level of awareness they have around the universe that we're playing in is also really important. In recent years, the Sa'am acupuncture style has generated significant interest and a loyal and growing following. In the Sa'am approach, a precise diagnosis leads to a four-needle treatment to address the five element and six chi imbalances in the body. The four needles target the controlling and generating cycles it's common using this method for the needle sensation to be stronger than in many other styles. Thus, the choice of needle becomes important. The Unico brand of needles lends itself to both strong and gentle techniques. These superior needles are made of uncoated Japanese surgical stainless steel and feature the best guide tube on the market with its unique beveled edge. Additionally, Unico needles have a tensile property that helps with freehanding needles into Jing well points and allows you to more easily feel the arrival of Qi. Blue Poppy is the exclusive importer and distributor of Unico needles. Use the code QI2024 to save 10% off Unico needles at www.bluepoppy.com. You'll be glad you did. Tell me more about these mental shortcuts that we take. I just heard you talking about it with an emphatic sound in your voice, and I get a sense that we take shortcuts way more often than we think we do. All the time. And part of the effectiveness of copy is being aware of those shortcuts and 
using them to our advantage. Call that manipulation or not. We are all manipulating people all the time. But again, use it for good. How about we call it clear communication? Yeah, right. So one shortcut. Let's see. Price. Pricing is an interesting one. It's like talking about pricing. Without any other information, you just have the price. Two prices, $200, $2,000. We will automatically assume that the $2,000 priced item is more valuable because it's priced higher. Shortcut. So if you are there under pricing, build, learn how to build and articulate value, that lets you easily raise your prices. Tell me more about how, if we understand that, it makes it easier to raise our prices because it seems to me that for many people, our pricing partly comes from a market that we imagine will bear or not bear. And partly comes from, and this is a slippery slope, but let's start sliding what I think I'm worth, whatever that means. So that erase that from your brain. That no longer exists. What matters is what the market will bear and the perceived and articulated value of the solution that you are promising. I'm just pausing to let that sink in. So we get to take our little story of who we think we are or who we think we aren't. We just take that out of the equation. Erase it. There's a story of a a Navy ship, something, there's a leak on the ship, something wrong. They call a plumber. The plumber comes, hits a pipe in the right place and charges them $10,000. Okay. Why so much? You got to know where to hit. Right. (laughs) (laughs) You literally, as acupuncturists, know where to hit the pipe. (laughs) $200 to insert a needle? Well, could you itemize that for me? Yes, inserting needle, dollar. Knowing where to insert the needle. Knowing where to insert it. But that's not the value. Exactly. That's not the value. The value is not, okay, we're going to have a 30-minute session and it's worth X. We are actually going to allow you to experience relief from this pain that has become so urgent that you can't sit with it anymore. What's that worth to you? It's a good question. I'm going to go so far as to say it's a little bit of a gutsy question. I think it's a gutsy question as well. I mean, I can see you because we got a video feed and you're smiling. So what are you smiling about when I say that's a gutsy question? Because we're not, we don't have the tendency to think that way. I don't think, I think in many cases, especially service providers are in this framework of, okay, we have a certain time and things that we do in a session and what we charge for that time, right? Trading time for money. Exactly. And, you know, lots of people do it. That is a a paradigm, a framework, a shortcut, if we're talking about shortcuts, that people, okay, it's X, there's a cost for X, there's a time, there's a thing. If we were to break that paradigm, now it requires actually laying out a narrative in a really specific way. And again, being able to articulate it, being able to position it right, being able to explain it. But if you wanted to go and charge double the market rate for a session, 
first of all, people would go, oh, why? Why is this person so expensive? What are they doing differently that all these other guys are not? Some people will go, oh, that's too expensive. But the people who are at the premium part of the market who don't, there are always those people in any market who don't really make decisions based on price. They want the thing that will solve their problem quickly and they don't care how much it costs. <laughs> there are those people as well. And so when we keep ourselves in a, okay, 30 minutes costs X without, and, and it might be that your prices don't change based on, on a result of this thinking, but I think it's worth a thought experiment. It's worth thinking through to the end. What if you were to put a price on the, the result in terms of money saved on medications, in terms of, you know, oh, I don't have to do this surgery that my doctor said I needed to do, or I can now actually take a vacation with my family and enjoy it. These are things, and why are they worth thinking about, even if they don't impact how you change your pricing, because it allows you to actually anchor your pricing when you're making a sale to somebody. Because if you can get them thinking about what they'll save as by virtue of making this decision now, then it's not just a matter of trading dollars for time. It suddenly becomes a really, really easy decision. Because we're looking at quality of life and we're looking at the capacity to do the things that are important to us. Exactly. And that, can you put a price on that? Like the famous MasterCard commercial, Priceless. So how we feel about ourselves, we take that out of the equation. I'm just back to that. It's just, I don't want to hammer on it, but I'm, why am I hammering on it? I know that I've run into that. We all do. Yeah, we often do it, especially in the beginning, especially when we're unsure of our capacity. My client and very, very smart man, uh, Todd Herman, who he's a, a sports performance coach and a mental coach and a business coach. And he had a video that I watched again recently, was remembered of the time that we worked together and wrote it, was about this, the little voice that pops up and says, who are you? Who are you to be doing this? And what he says is, those moments are going to come. You have an answer ready. Who am I? I am the person who studied for years to master this, to be able to help people. I am the one who cares so much that I've decided to build a business around it, right? Whatever that, that is for you, those proof points, I have helped dozens of people and taking time to actually realize what we have done so that you have that answer ready for when that voice pops up. Who am I? I'll tell you who I am. <laughs> I love that. I'll tell you who I am. I can't take credit for it, but it is something that has stuck with me. And certainly worth passing along. So thank you for that. That's powerful. All right, let's um let's just pivot for a second. I want to I want to talk about some other resources. I mean, in addition to you, I mean, people can reach out to you. Are you taking clients? I mean, do you help people like us? Yes. So I do have some online programs and courses and some one-on-one -on -one sessions if you really do need some help getting through some of these blocks and languaging some things. Cool. We'll put all of that on the show notes page. People can just wander on over there. They know how to get there. They're big kids. They grew up with the internet. 
In terms of some resources, if people are, you know, like into this stuff, you mentioned a book on influence that you think is really good. Do you have any, like, what's your favorite, your favorite book on copywriting? Influence. Depends on how old school you want to get. So definitely influence. Definitely. uh, He also has a book called Presuasion by the same author that goes a little bit deeper into those concepts. Those are not necessarily books about copy per se. They're really about the psychology of persuasion that underlie a lot of things that you'll see marketers doing. I actually can't recommend the books on my shelf unless you really want to go mastery 10,000 hours on. All right. Well, give me one. One on marketing. All right. Old school stuff. Old school. You keep saying old school. What do you mean by old school? If you talk about the industry called direct response copyright, it's a very specific form. It was really the full page newspaper ads in the 1950s and 60s. It's those bulky letters that you got in the mail selling you a thing like mail the card back and get this book for free. That's going to solve all your problems. Like it's the classic copywriters like Ogilvy and Gary Halbert and Claude Hopkins, people like that. And that's if you really want to get into the history of, of the art and of the medium and of, of what eventually became modern advertising. But only if you're feeling really like going down a rabbit hole. So you don't need to study the old school stuff to be effective with, let's call it new school? Or does new school build on? You don't. Not for the purposes of being a business owner who wants to bring in more clients. No. And what I teach is one simple copywriting framework that you will start to see everywhere that you can sort of adopt and implement for your own purposes. And what I call it is really simple. It's just your sales narrative. And I say narrative, it's different from story. And we can talk about why that is in a second. And we talked about, honestly, all of the elements in this conversation already. So there's four pieces to it. Problem. Can you describe the problem to me better than I can myself? What does it look like? What does it feel like? And what does the dream look like? What does the way out look like? Second part is story, your story. Why are you the person who, get, first of all, gets what they're going through and why you're the person to help them out of it? Third piece is discovery, the point where we said, you didn't know this, but now you know. Here's what you need to know. And the fourth piece is solution. Now that you know, what are you going to do about it? You will see that framework if you start looking for it in Facebook posts, in sales pages online, on people's websites, you're looking for it. And feel free to use it yourself, work within it. I'm not a big fan of templates for various reasons, because they don't sound like you and they're frustrating to try to go ahead and make them work. I am a fan of frameworks. Tell me more about how a framework is different than a template. They sound very similar. A framework is something like I just told you, problem, story, discovery, solution. I have not given you, a template is something like I would say more of a fill in the blank, like more like a Mad Libs kind of thing. Insert benefit of product here. 
insert ideal client here. Got it. Right. Those sometimes feel very forced and formulaic. Okay. I got that. That makes sense. And, you know, a template can be useful in the beginning when you're first learning and you don't know. And, you know, it's like training wheels. Very true. And reading lots of examples. So this is the other thing. You don't ever have to write from scratch. Ever. Okay. Copywriters don't write from scratch. This is the the dirty little secret of the cop. Like we don't. Okay. We have extensive what's called swipe files Yes. of old ads of sales pages that we liked. I have someone on my team that goes and I'll just drop URLs. I'll be like, put this in our swipe file. This was good. I have a whole drive full of examples. Not to copy. We're not, you know, we're not plagiarizing. We're not copying. I must be very, very clear about this. We are getting inspired by the format and the rhythm and the flow of the copy and adapting it to our market and to our purposes and with our own ideas. I took a copywriting workshop about four months ago. And one of the great things about it was as I would get emails and ads and this and that, instead of like, oh God, this again, so annoying. I'd be like, oh, how'd they put that together? And start taking it apart. And I... I also have a bit of a swipe file. And sometimes I'll put things in that I don't like. It's like, here's something, like avoid that. Just to remind myself not to write bad copy. Yeah, don't, no, don't write that. Write like this. Yeah, or I might look at it and go, this does not land with me at all. It's so annoying. Oh, clearly not for me. Who is this for? And then see if, you know, if I can reverse engineer who they're actually targeting it towards. Again, not to steal it, but to understand the process. Right. And a grain of salt here. Not everything that is out on the internet is actually performing well, right? So (laughs) knowing what to swipe for, uh, where to go for inspiration and what to save and be part of understanding like why they're using the specific structures and Uh, devices and copy that they're using, it goes part of a way to understanding that. Yeah. So what is your rubric for, hey, team member, go download this because it's great. What is it? What gets tickled in you that makes you go, I want that for the swipe file? When I see someone doing something in terms of page layout or strategy, this is just a little nerdy moment for me that I want to try in my own business, not necessarily copy but just a page structure or a specific way of presenting a workshop or something else that I would like to try for myself. That's one. The other thing is emails. So I write a lot of emails just as a function of what I do. And I'm constantly trying to find creative ways to say the same thing. And if you are in business, you are also trying to creative find creative ways to say the same thing. And so I actually have a a creativity blockbuster free guide that helps with that. But one of the ways that I hack that is by getting inspired by subject lines, by hooks, by stories that other people have sent. Another hack that I'm using lately, I don't know if we want to open this can of worms, is ChatGPT. Oh, my God. Well, 
Yeah, crank it open because whether you like it or whether you dislike it or you're like me, you're just looking at it and going, what the hell is this? I don't even know how to think about it. It's here and it, I don't think it's going away. So yeah, let's go ahead and crack that open. It's certainly not. It's not here to replace us. It's here to make, a, at least the way that I think about it and the way that I'm using it, I don't want it to write emails for me yet. I want it to help me do the parts that I find sticky or hard. So how do we do that? So for example, I used it recently. I was writing an email sequence for a client and I needed a story because the best way to change a belief or get a point across is through story, right? The moral of the story becomes the lesson, becomes the takeaway that gives us that way in to change that belief. So I was looking for a story about a second chance. So I said, chat GPT, hi, you are, you have to give it a role. Do you actually say hi to it? Do you actually say chat GPT hi? Do you start friendly like that? I speak, I, I like speak the words. I'm like, hi, you know, it doesn't answer me. And then I continue to type in the box, right? I just wonder if it would interact with you differently. If you're like, hey, honey, would you help me out with this? It does not, but it makes me feel better about it. <laughs> That's the whole interesting thing about these AIs and these natural language models, right? Why is it now something that people are actually using because it's accessible, because it feels human, because we don't have to actually, we can just ask it in natural language for something and not have to, you know, write a piece of code to get what we want. That's the power of it. Either way, I went and I asked it, you are a copywriter. You give it a role, right? You will get better results if you tell it who to be, right? And then I said, I am writing, you tell it, you give it context. You said, I'm writing an email and I want the lesson to be about second chances. Please give me 10 instances of examples of where, of second chances. I think, I don't remember the exact prompt. It gave me 10. One of the ones was endangered species. You know, like a species that was extinct and then they went and found, these are the black-footed ferrets. They were extinct. I'm like, and then I honed in on that one. I'm like, forget all the other ones. This is the one I want. Please tell me more, give me more details around this story. So the story is, they thought these black-footed ferrets were extinct. They found a small population of them in Wyoming in 1981. They tried to have a captive breeding program and release them into the wild. That did not work. It was not successful because they couldn't find food. Their natural prey is our prairie dogs. So what they did was they actually put them inside these prairie dog colonies. All you can eat buffet right there. And that is how the black-footed ferret was able to come back and get a second chance. Not just come back, they were actually put in an environment where they had everything they needed to survive. And I was selling a program that included all kinds of training and support and whatever, you can imagine where I took that lesson to. But I would not have come up with that story on my own. I wouldn't have pulled that out of my brain. But once you got the story, I mean, look, part of being creative is finding inspiration somewhere. And once you had that story, now your own creativity could take it and run wild with it. Exactly. I knew sort of what I needed I knew kind of like where I wanted to get to, and that made it easier to give it the right prompt to find that information for me. Wow. 
I didn't want it to write the email for me. It would have sounded, you know, really generic and it wouldn't have been the same. I just wanted it to do the thing that I used to have to Google for in half an hour to find. Or before Google, maybe you were reading some periodicals in a library reading room or who knows where. I was not writing copy. There was the internet when I was writing copy. But true, you know. I mean, I remember life before the internet because I'm just that old. And I, I can remember being in college and have to write a research paper. You know, and the whole idea is you're supposed to go to the card catalog and look things up and blah, blah, blah. And that almost never worked for me. But here's what did work for me. I would pick an area of the library to go to that had something that kind of got my attention. And I would wander and randomly pick stuff off the shelf. That's a great way to get inspired for things to write about, by the way, stories. I want to tell you. I haven't done Zen library navigation for a while because I don't go to libraries that often now. If I want a book, I just order it from the library and then I go pick it up. But it, for me, in the age before the internet was a highly reliable way of getting a thread of interest going. And then after that, you can go to the card catalog or you can look up this other person's book or you could follow the threads that came off of it. But that initial open to inspiration, possibility, you're not quite sure, and you're just open and inquiring. Like you say, write me 10 stories of second chances. This is really cool. This reminds me of something I used to do. I can go use ChatGPT now, thanks to you. I'm going to go work it out. You can. You absolutely can. Anybody can. That's the fun part. And I wrote about this a couple months ago when it first came out and I was a little wary. I'm like, is it going to replace me? What is this? What's happening? And I started using it and I started playing with it. And I'm sure there are people who can, you know, get their prompts to a point where it does write for them. There are people who do that, who can get great copy from it. I don't know that I necessarily want to do that yet. Maybe it will. But I think about something like the car, the invention of the automobile. Right. Do you want to be the person sitting there with your horse and carriage going, those newfangled automobiles, they're never going to go anywhere? <laughs> or do you want to be the person buying the Model T and going, hey, <laughs> or calculators? I mean, think about, you know, the pocket calculator. Are you going to sit there adding calculation by hand just because that's how we used to do it? It's a tool. It's a tool. We're back to tools again, aren't we? Yeah. So there's one. All right. Wow. Okay. Well, my suspicion is everyone listening to this has uh, got a couple of few good ideas and a framework to uh, start playing with. And uh, I'll make sure that your information is on the show notes page so people can go find you if they need some help. You mentioned something about a creative blockbuster. Yes. I will make sure that you have the URL for that as well so people can go and get it for free. Great. All right. Well, I think this is an hour that's been well spent. Danielle, thank you so much for joining me with your coffee and your chocolate and your copywriting and everything that you've had to share with us today. Thank you for having me. I hope it was some chocolate for thought. <laughs> okay. All right. Take good care.
all the relatives in my grandparents' generation, they didn't have jobs. They had businesses. They had businesses because back in those days, there were no jobs for Jews. So they had to create their own way of getting by in the world. And that was lucky for me because I grew up around people who had developed some business savvy. Some of it rubbed off on me. And that's been a real benefit to me as an acupuncturist because the business side of the practice never felt like a burden, felt more like an opportunity. When you run your own business, you get to do what you want and you don't have to ask anyone for permission, which means if you don't choose wisely, you can fall flat on your face and the failure is all yours. But it also means you have the possibility to create something that no one else has dreamed up. And in the process, you'll develop a kind of resiliency that can only arise when you've got some skin in the game. It's not without its troubles, that's for sure. But those troubles, they make you stronger, smarter, and more capable. And who knows? Maybe that will rub off on your kids as well. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community.